season. Now you're thinking already, I've skipped a holiday, right? But uh, if you've been at the mall at all over the last couple of weeks, even pre-Halloween, you would have seen Christmas decorations everywhere, right? And so, as a parent, you may already be getting uh, or hearing statements like this. Dad, this is what I need for Christmas. Right? You may even be thinking, you know, this. maybe I'm the only selfish person in the room, but I'm already thinking about how I can manipulate this wonderful season to get some things that I feel like I need. Some of you are, are identifying with this at all? No, 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 no. Uh, as you stand in Best Buy like this, enamored with technology. Um, yeah, so it is a time of season where uh, desires and needs are at the forefront, right in front of us. And we have a way during this time of uh, distorting wants and needs, don't we? Uh, there's a, it's just, it's innate that something that we want is something that we, uh, as we want it more and, and think about it and contemplate it, that it almost begins to feel like it's no longer a want. This is a what? Need. Right? Need is something I need. And so I want to throw out the question this morning. Uh, what do we really need? What is our greatest need or needs? Maslow, as some of you may be aware of this character in history, uh, studied this. And he came up with the what? Hierarchy of needs, right? And he had, look, wow, and just like that, bam, right on the television, right? This hierarchy of needs, and none of you can read it, but nonetheless, I'll tell you what it says. It talks about the basic human needs at the bottom. Physiological needs, like food and water and, and warmth and rest and safety needs. These are basic needs. And then it goes on as it goes up to talk about psychological needs like a sense of belonging and love and esteem, right? That some sort of self-esteem is needed. And then you see that Maslow comes to the top and almost the pinnacle of human need is this idea of self-actualization. Achieving one's full potential, including creative activity. So really, the idea for Maslow is let's make sure that we're providing the basic needs and the psychological needs so that people have the best opportunity to get at what they ultimately need, and that is self-fulfillment, self-actualization. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't been hearing that at all over the last four sermons. Uh, as we've wrestled with Romans. And so we come uh, with this kind of idea in culture and in history, last 50 to 60 years, about what are the basic human needs? Like, what is our greatest need that we need met? And so we're throwing that question out today, and I think we have been answering it week in and week out, and today in a very unique way, we bring solution and answer to that question. What is our greatest need as humans? 
in the midst of all the distraction, in the busyness of life, and the concerns are at the forefront of your mind as you're entering into another week. This is what we do here on Sunday. We come face to face with our greatest need. And so this morning, it is my request and ask of you that you do all that you can to to set aside anything that could keep you from seeing your greatest need as revealed in the Word of God. And not just to see it, okay? Not just to see your need, but also to see God's provision of that need. And to receive it freely from His hand. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. Grab your Bibles, let's dig in. If you need to, silence that smartphone, sit on it. Don't get up. Give your heart and your mind to the Word of God this morning as He reveals, again, your need and His provision of it. Leon Morris, a scholar commentator, said this, this paragraph, He's talking about Romans 3, 21 through 26. This paragraph quite possibly is this most, is the single most important paragraph ever written. Because I said that so poorly, I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Leon Morris said, poor Leon, (laughs) I'm not doing him justice here. Leon said, this is quite possibly the single most important paragraph ever written. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Listen to the word of God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. The last three words from last Sunday's sermon passage are this, verse 20 of chapter 3. 
knowledge of sin. We cannot miss this. Knowledge of sin. I don't want to assume that everyone has gotten the point over the last four sermons at all. That would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy for us to just start preaching verse 21 without an understanding of the emphasis and the truths that have been laid down over the last four texts, over the last four weeks in this series. So in case you have missed it, we're going to recap it. We're going to take a look back. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to be flipping a little bit. Okay? I want you to turn back. Because if we miss the depth of our sin, we will altogether miss the heights of God's provision. This may be your first time here today. This may be the first time you've ever even heard anyone preach about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And before we dig into this profound and wonderful and beautiful provision of God, we must first and foremost see our need for this provision. And so in case you have missed it, we're going to take another look in what we'll hope to be brief form. If you go back to chapter 1, he tells us right at the beginning that the wrath of God, His righteous anger and indignation, His wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in human living and activity. That the wrath of God against sin is a very real, personal, and profound attribute that is being revealed from heaven. Those that live in unrighteousness, those that are idolatrous, who do not worship Him, but worship something they have made and replaced Him and exchanged His glory, suppressed His truth. Those who engage constantly in sinful practices become full of unrighteousness at the end of chapter 1. And God, in His wrath, uh, gives them over to those things. The wrath of God against human sin and rebellion and unrighteousness is very real and personal and it is imminent. We cannot ignore it or miss that. And at the end of chapter 1, he says that those who live this way, those who practice these things, deserve death. That this wrath of God, this unrighteousness, is a matter of life and death for us. This is no small thing. No one has an excuse before God. No one can presume to escape. Because we all, Jew and Gentile, have hard and impenitent hearts. We are literally storing up for ourselves the wrath of God when His judgment is revealed. Chapter 2, verse 5. 
all of us who live in a self-seeking way and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there is one thing, an expectation of wrath and fury. No, by the way, God shows no partiality. For all who sin apart from the law, and those who sin under the law, will be judged. No one is righteous. No, not even one. No one seeks after God. No one understands. By the way, this includes us. This includes you. On our own, in our unrighteousness, we are living in sin and storing up for ourselves a fearful expectation of judgment. No matter how much we can numb these things with our affluence and our Western civilization and distract ourselves with technology and make ourselves feel better about this reality in the moment, this is our issue. This is our predicament. This is our greatest need. We do not have righteousness. And we need it. We need the righteousness of God. That's what Paul has been saying, reinforcing to Jew, to Gentile, to me, to you, that without some sort of provision, you are left with this massive need. I can't help but think about my favorite guitarist, John Mayer. Where'd that come from? When he sings a song, something's missing. And I don't know what it is. But we do. Right? He says in his song, How come everything I think I need always comes with batteries? got an email that my iPhone 10 is being shipped on Friday. I was very excited. How come everything I think I need always comes with battery? Something's missing. And I don't know what it is. Mr. Mayor, those here today, Paul tells us, Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20, our greatest need. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. See your need today. That's what I want you to see. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to see it. You know, I got in the car a couple of days ago and we hadn't moved our cars into the garage. I mean, this is real suffering. And I could not see out of my window because of this wretched cold film. And I wondered if that isn't kind of what the busyness of our lives and the temporal joys of this world and all that we're doing has done. It's just, it's distorted our vision of what we really need and where, where fulfillment and joy really is found. It may be today, God in the, in the revelation of, of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, as we look at it in this passage, it may be, is there's a, a defrosting of your heart that helps you to see 
your need for the righteousness of God and see God's provision. Because on our own, this need is unmeetable. This problem is, is unsolvable. This, this sickness is incurable. This uh, chasm is unbridgeable. This height is insurmountable. This weight is unbearable. This debt is unpayable. This darkness is so pervasive. This reality of sin and this need for unrighteousness and for righteousness. If we're not careful, if we stop there, we could easily slip into a place of hopelessness. An overwhelming sense uh, of hopelessness about our condition. And then we read chapter 3, verse 21. But now, as Jeremy called it last week, the, the apostolic however, because an apostolic but is just a little odd. That word, but, however, we've having said all this, this reality cannot be missed. Having said all that, without minimizing that, keeping that there, we have a whole nother truth and a whole nother reality that we must not miss. We see the need, but we can't miss the provision. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God what we need, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a righteousness of God that has been manifested to us. And the Jew would have said, well, duh, it's the works of the law. <laughs> of course, the Torah, the law. But he already said in verse 20 of chapter 3 that, that, that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So no, it's not the law. It's not just adherence to the law. No one is justified, meaning no one is declared righteous in God's courtroom on the basis of the works of the law. For through the law only comes what? Knowledge of sin. But there is a righteousness of God that is being revealed, verse 22, in Jesus Christ. That if you're looking for the righteousness of God and seeing it, its manifestation, you're looking to Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. God's provision of righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. It's not found anywhere else. It's in Jesus Christ. Not in the law. In what way is this righteousness of God revealed in Jesus Christ? This is a shocking answer. But you're all looking at it right now. Right there. 
cross, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is manifested in Jesus Christ, in His death on a cross. What? So offensive in many ways to a world that could not imagine righteousness being revealed and provided in the death of the Son of God. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. There is hope. There is provision for this need. It's not in the law. It is in Christ Jesus, in His death on the cross, that the person and the work of Jesus is a sufficient provision to meet the need that you have as a sinner. The righteousness of God. The cross of Jesus. How does this cross of Jesus provide this righteousness to us? But what it says, right? He says there's no distinction. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. There it is. No one is justified. No one stands in the presence of God Almighty and is declared to be righteous through adherence of the law, by the works of the law. However, through the work of Jesus in His death on a cross, this is the ground of being declared righteous. That through the death of Jesus, justification of the sinner is given, is made real. It is the ground of our righteous standing before God. And so you're here today and you're feeling the weight, the very real weight, uh, and being overwhelmed by a sense of condemnation and sin. And you understand that you stand in the presence of a holy God, that your unrighteousness is justly punishable. And you're feeling the weight of your sin. In this death on the cross, all of that weight is taken away. It's provided for. It's dealt with. It is the grounds for God to look at us in His courtroom. Look at us and say, on the basis of my Son's death in your place, on the cross for your sins, my gavel comes down and declares not guilty. Not guilty. Not on the basis of your work, but on the basis of His work. The gavel comes down. And while we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we are all justified, declared righteous in His sight, by His grace as a gift. It is the basis by which we get what we need. Righteousness from God. 
Jesus' death on a cross. And you say, but how could He do that? How could He declare us to be righteous in His sight on the basis of another man's death? Look at what He goes on to say. He says that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That this cross was a redeeming work. Redemption. The setting free. Through the payment of a price. In the shedding of blood. That's what redemption is. You say, well where do you get that? Well where do we get this idea of redemption in the Bible? Where should we turn if we want to understand the biblical idea of redemption? What book of the Bible? Someone tell me. No love from the, from the peanut gallery? If we want to understand biblical redemption, what it means to be set free from an oppressive enemy and pulled out and brought to a place of right standing before God, what book would we turn to? I think I heard it. Exodus. That's right, this idea for the reader of Exodus, right? Where the people of Israel were 430 years bound in slavery to the oppressive evil enemy, Egypt. And they were, they were given labor to do. And that in Exodus we see with an outstretched arm, God showed up out of His sovereign grace and sovereign love and literally, through a series of plagues, redeemed them, set them free so that they would no longer be under the yoke of the Egyptians. And how did all of that take place? Passover. Passover, right? The last plague where, where the angel of death came through the camp of the people and, 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 and killed the firstborn of every Egyptian. Really, everyone that did not have the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost of their house, right? So they passed over those homes and those firstborn sons because of the blood of the Lamb. And so the judgment of God did not fall upon Israel because of the blood of the Lamb that was on the doorposts of their homes. Because of the sacrifice that was given. Because the, the angel of death did not need to punish because the Lamb had been punished and judged in the place of Israel. And so when we look at this redemption of Jesus, we see the cross, that symbol. We come to the realization that we now have been provided for. That righteousness has been given. That our sins have been taken away because Jesus is that Passover lamb. As John said, uh, 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 what did he say? Oh crap, what did he say? <laughs> Behold, thank you, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? This is the Lamb of God. This is the redeeming blood. This is the sacrifice. This is where we will be set free finally and forever from every sin that we've committed. And so the cross of Jesus Christ does what nothing else could do. Set us free from the hold that sin has on us. Sin is real. But the cross is more powerful to set us free from the hold that sin has on us. 
so that's how our unrighteousness has been dealt with through the work, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It is the basis for a righteous standing before God. And it is the power, it is the sacrifice that sets us free from the hold that sin has on us. So if you're here today and you feel so enslaved and shackled by the reality of sin, there are things in your life that you know are wrong and living in rebellion to God and you feel the weight of that and you think to yourself, I'll never be able to defeat this. I'll always be working for Egypt. In the cross of Jesus Christ, freedom has been secured for you. Turn to Jesus. See God's provision of freedom. We want peace. We want freedom in this world. It's in Christ. God's provision for us. So it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Oh man, these big words today. Right? The cross of Jesus is the is the ground for us being declared righteous. It's, it's now the, the work that secures for us freedom from sin's hold. And now we see in this word propitiation that it's simply this, that the cross of Jesus satisfies fully. Satisfies fully God's righteous anger against every one of our sins. Right? Everyone who lives this way, what? Deserves death. What we see is in the death of Jesus, He takes upon His shoulders that which we deserve. The righteous anger of God unleashed on our sin and wickedness. But the wonderful thing that we see in the cross of Jesus is that that work, that death, propitiates God. That means it just satisfies His anger through a sacrifice. The shedding of blood. That we no longer have to have a fearful expectation of judgment. Of anger being poured out on us. Because fully and sufficiently the anger of God was dealt with and satisfied in Jesus on the cross when He paid the penalty for our sins. So you may be thinking that God is so angry with you, O Christian. Guess what? That is so far from the truth. He's not angry with you. He loves you. And that in Christ Jesus, His anger is fully dealt with. It is fully poured out. That when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? in that moment that He received all of the Father's displeasure toward human wickedness. So that now we can know that in the redemptive work of Jesus, in the propitiating work of Jesus, we are fully accepted as sons and daughters of the living God. All of those promises Come from the cross of Jesus. The provision of God to meet our greatest need. 
And the text goes on to say that it's not just a justifying work. It's not just a redeeming work. It's not just a propitiating work. But it is a demonstrating work. That in this one act in human history where Jesus came into the world and He lived a perfect sinless life and He gave Himself in obedience to a crucifixion. That in this act of laying down His life and putting His Son forward, this is an act of God to, to put him, his, his Son forward, that in this moment, he was demonstrating to the world that you can believe with all of your heart that I am a righteous God. I am a true God. I am a faithful God. I made a promise to redeem and save a people. And throughout history, I, I passed over sins of my people. And in doing so, I was not in any way, shape, or form becoming an unrighteous God, letting sin go. I was just waiting for the perfect time and place in history to put forward my righteousness for you to see, to deal with your sin perfectly in my son Jesus. And at the very same time, to not just judge in my righteousness, but to save in my righteousness. I'm righteous to judge and I'm righteous to save. This work of Jesus is a historic demonstration that God is righteous. And yet we look at a world today that hears our gospel, hears the truth of the scriptures, and concludes that that God can't be good. Your God can't be good. Your God can't be righteous. You say, well, how am I supposed to respond to that? You show them right here. You point to that right there. You speak of that and you say, no, 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 no. Listen, understand this. He has shown and demonstrated His righteousness in human history for us to see and interact with. He, he's very righteous, actually. He made promises to save us. He made promises as well that if we were to reject Him, that, that He would punish that. It would be punishable by death. And He's kept all of those promises. He's remained faithful to His purposes. And so the cross of Jesus comes for us a, a demonstration of the righteousness of God. This cross of Jesus that we talk about in infinitum, that Jesus died for me on that cross, it's so much deeper and more profound than the superficial attention that we give it. The fashion that we have when we put it on, Kanye. Like it's some gold glamorous thing. It's a real, actual, factual suffering and passion a brutal massacre of the Son of God to give us a grounds that we could stand before the living God righteous in His sight to set us free from our greatest evil oppressor, sin, Satan, and death. To satisfy God's anger. To provide for us righteousness and to demonstrate that righteousness so that He is now just and the justifier. Just and the justifier. I'm still confounded how in the cross, everything just comes together. He is the just one, and at the very same time, He is the justifier. The cross of Jesus. The provision of God's righteousness to us. God's met our need. 
Do you see that today? Your greatest need is the righteousness of God. But do you see that in the cross of Jesus, He has met that need? And you say, well, why would God do that? And this is where it gets even nuttier. This is where the gospel gets even crazier. This is when people start to walk away because it goes against every uh, understanding of how we achieve and gain things and obtain things in our society. We work for it. Right? We, we earn it. We show God how good we are. We try harder. We do better. pick up the pieces, we pull up our bootstrap. No human being will be justified by the works of the law. There's no sense of self-righteousness that will provide the basis for your justification, for your righteousness. No, 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 no. Here's why God did it. Not because you deserve it. If there's anything that we see in the cross of Jesus Christ, it is this, that we didn't deserve God to do this. He didn't owe us anything. We're not entitled. Maybe there's a better word for our society. We're not entitled to this. It's not inherently ours. That this action of God in Christ to put forward His Son on the cross is a work of grace by nature. Right? That God has provided for our need in Jesus Christ on the cross, on the basis of His grace toward sinners. That while God is just and justifier, He is gracious toward us as sinners. He just gives it to His people. He dispenses it freely as a gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can just simply see it and receive it as a gracious gift from His hand. And really, that's what we want for you today. That's what we want for every man, woman, and child from Brewerton to Baldwinsville. Every man, woman, and child in Onondaga County in New York and throughout the globe. We want people to see the extension of God's hand of grace to freely offer Himself as a way to be saved from His anger against sin. It's all on the matter of grace. It's not on the basis of merit, but on His grace toward you. He is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So if you're wondering why God would save you, why God would give you Jesus, why God would lay that gavel down and say not guilty, why God would set you free from sin, why God would satisfy His own anger by taking it upon Himself, it's simply because He's gracious and He loves to give and He loves to save. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then you ask, how can I know it's mine? How can this sufficient work of Jesus be more than just seen, but received? How can this, this gift be appropriated how can it be mine? How can it take hold of me? How can I have assurance that I stand before God righteous, that I've been set free from the power of sin, that God is no longer angry with me? How can I be assured that I'm His child, 
How can I be assured that His plan, His good plan for me will work itself out? How can I face another day? How can my greatest need be met? How can I appropriate it? How can it be mine? And the text tells us five times the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He put forward Christ as a propitiation by His blood to be received what? By faith. He's just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Faith. That's how you receive it. That's how you take it. God is offering it. He's extending it to you. So the only application for today is simply receive it. Maybe you've never heard of this gift of righteousness. Maybe you've spent your whole life developing your own sense of self-righteousness. Maybe you look in the mirror and you say, I'm, I'm good 51% of the time. That's good enough. Maybe you've looked around the world and you said, I'm not as bad as they are. Maybe you said, man, I go to church every week. I give a little bit of money. Shoot, I even go to those missional communities. And I don't kill people. So I'm good. Maybe you've developed your own sense of moralistic approach to being right before God. Let me tell you something. This will not be sufficient in these, when you stand before the living God. It's not your own doing that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. You must receive it as a gift. And you receive it by faith. Not mental assent. Not just a, oh, that's kind of nice. Not. Oh, I like to hear that on Sundays. That's nice. That's not faith. Not to, oh, I, I like that. I'm going to tweet that. Because I'm a Christian. I'm going to tweet, I'm going to put that on Facebook. Because I'm a Christian. No. No, that's not faith. I'm going to vote a particular way. I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, that's, that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is complete reliance. Total dependence. I put my all, all of my hopes and my dreams, my assurance, my eternity, every decision, every relationship, everything about me, I'm relying and depending upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's what faith is. This faith is something that is comprehensive. It fully and wholly takes hold of the cross. So faith in many ways is your life holding on to the bottom of that tree in the ground. In saying, this is my assurance. This is what I trust in. This is my identity. This will shape everything about me forever. I can't do it on my own. I grab a hold of the cross. And I refuse to let go. Because it has grabbed a hold of my soul. Faith is that response. That receiving. That relying and dependence upon Him. That radically transforms us. And oh, by the way. Faith is an opportunity. It is a gift for all of us in the sense that it is not just for the Jew. It is not just for a specific ethnic background. It is not just for some specific economic uh, uh, um, reality. It's not based on the color of your skin. It is not based on the language you speak. It is not based on a particular political ideology. This is for all who believe. Amen? 
It doesn't matter how far sin has taken you. It doesn't matter how much of a weight you feel standing in the presence of God. It is for all who believe. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by His grace as a gift. See your need today. It's interesting that Maslow made some adjustments to his hierarchy. Unless Google's wrong. I'll do my research is that. It seems to me that Maslow made some adjustments in the 70s. Does anybody know about this? What he added later in his life? The top. He changed the pinnacle. It was no longer self-actualization. He called it self-transcendence. Because you recognize that at the end of the day, just self-fulfillment falls short. Feeling good about myself falls short. There has to be something outside of me. There has to be something beyond me to meet my greatest need. Now, he explained it in very secular terms. Okay? But I think there's common grace there. You see that, that there's, there's something beyond me that's going to meet my greatest need. And I'm here to tell you today that the pursuit of self-actualization, going to find yourself in this life, that is a fool's pursuit. That you don't need to just find something inside of yourself to be all that you can be in this world. We don't just need the best version of you. You need God. You need something outside of yourself. You need His righteousness from His hand. Transcendence. And the wonderful thing is that's exactly what God has done in human history. That's exactly how we see our greatest need being met. God giving Himself to us in Jesus Christ. In all the language of justification and redemption and propitiation, Understand this, this is just simply God in a very powerful way giving Himself to you. Take it. Receive Him by trusting Him. See your need. Receive your or God's provision. And I lost my place in my notes. But that's our plea. See the need. Receive the provision. Right? God has provided His righteousness and the cross of Jesus Christ on the basis of His grace to be received by faith. Praise God you won't hear anything like that in the silliness of the news today. You heard it here. Let's let that transform everything about us. Amen? Let it inspire some worship this morning. Respond to this. Celebrate this. Let's do that together. Father, we praise You for Your effective work in Jesus Christ, Your Son. Even as we come to the table this morning, may we do so by faith, relying upon the finished work of Jesus with the grounds of our righteousness before You. There's a provision uh, that which satisfied Your anger and set us free from sin.
Lord, I pray all the more that we would live redeemed, live free, live righteous in Your sight. Oh God, save us. Oh God, praise You that You have done so. And may the, the hard heart in the room that continues to, to, to push back on this and self-defend, I pray that you would, you would literally warm their heart, melt the ice in their soul, so that they would know You. They would worship You and honor You. All glory be to You, O God, for Your provision in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.